This is Hard Reset from BigFTrue.org. I'm JC Cortez here in Vancouver, Washington. I'm Justin Sanders in Houston, Texas. And I'm Molly Bryant. I'm here in Oklahoma City. We are recording this on Sunday, April 25th. And today, some news from Hard Reset. Today is actually our last episode. So we just wanted to talk to you a little bit about about what we've done on the show and what's coming up for us. Uh, A little bit of a bittersweet topic, I guess. I think we've made a decision uh, Big of Truth.org has made the decision to refocus some resources uh, on other aspects of Big of True's mission other than Hard Reset. And as a result, this is actually the last episode of Hard Reset you'll hear from me, JC, and Molly. Uh, and I think first and foremost, we just want to say thank you to our listeners um, for listening to the show and coming along with us as we touched on so many different topics um, through quite a long period of time now, changes in all of our lives. Uh, it's really been a journey for me, and I've really appreciated the opportunity to talk with JC and Molly uh, and also hear from so many great interview subjects and participate in some small way uh, and so many important stories that Molly and the other writers at, at Big of True have told on the website. So I think my biggest thing is just saying thank you for this opportunity, both to Molly, JC, and the listeners. What I'm so excited about is for almost, uh, well, for a year now, we've been focused on in-depth stories about inequality. And since last, I think, September, we've hired freelancers, actually, to help us report these stories. And I'm excited about continuing to do that and hopefully growing those efforts so that we can tell more stories that kind of, you know, show people how how widespread inequality is in this country and how uh, how that looks, how that plays out, and what that means for public institutions like courts. Molly, I wanted to hear from you about, you know, what you think the future holds for Big If True. Obviously, um, the, the radio show and the podcast uh, going away doesn't mean that Big If True is going away. No, not at all. I mean, I, I think of it as a positive thing because we're, we're going to be rededicating resources so that we can build our organization. And that's a really important thing for us to do. What are some of the what are some of the moments from the show or what are some of the things that you learned or what are some of the things that, that stuck out to you? One thing, you know, that we haven't talked about before uh is the time I got docs? No, I mean, to me, that I, I think about that all the time, that time in the podcast life. Like you were living part of what was like the national narrative, like everything that was going on with like the media being the enemy of the people and the quote unquote fake news sphere out there and all of the, the alternative facts flying around. I, it's just fascinating to me to like look at your story as part of that and and for big if true to have been like part of the fabric of that that event of that time yeah i mean molly just how did it how did it feel like we've talked about doxing on the show but what did it feel like when you realized you had actually been doxed like what was that what was that like well, I guess I should say a lot of reporters, and probably probably JC has experienced this too, but a lot of reporters experience being threatened or 
like one of my friends, he's an entertainment reporter, but someone like threw a a beer over his head once at a at a show because of something he'd written. I mean, like people do deal with harassment sometimes when they're doing regular reporting. So it wasn't exactly something that I hadn't experienced before, but having your address posted online, trying to get Twitter to take it off um, is a little frustrating. Um, also, there were just like, I don't know, like hundreds or thousands of comments that I was getting that were pretty vile. And um, I think the most upsetting thing that happened was um, someone sent me my mother's name and her address. <laughs> and so that was concerning. And so I had to like call my mom and say, hey, uh, if you see... <laughs> If you see anyone weird walking around the house or checking out the house or anything like that, like, you should be careful. Um, and luckily, my mom is, like, familiar with me being an investigative, like, having an investigative reporting background and, like, familiar with the idea of me writing things that might piss people off. So um, she, you know, wasn't angry with me or worried at all either. Um which, you know, that was part of why I didn't say anything about it at the time publicly, because I didn't want these people who were threatening me to think that it actually, like, scared me or my family or, um, you know, it was obviously something that we took seriously, but it wasn't something that kept me up at night. And I didn't want them to feel like they had extra power over me and you know, my husband who lived with me and, you know, didn't exactly, that wasn't something he signed up for necessarily to be, you know, threatened by people. Yeah. I, I think that was one of the, the times uh, where hard reset kind of became part of the story it was covering. Um, but I, I think that that's, that's not, um, been uncommon during the run of the podcast for us, which is, I think, a, a cool thing. I think some of our best episodes have been when we talk about things that are real to us in a way beyond just reading about it in the news. Um, you know, whether that's a story where you reported on it and you talk to people that were really integral to the story or really doing uh, work on one side of the issue or another, um, or just talking about things that reach out into our lives and touch us from the coronavirus pandemic um, to not long ago at all when I talked about um, kind of the power outages here in Texas. Um, so I think that's been one of the coolest things, at least for me, as someone who is part of making the podcast has been those times when we could give insight maybe beyond just commenting on on the story from reading about it and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the kinds of you know, the insights that you and JC offer, I've really appreciated them, like, in, during the two years that we've done this show. I mean, like, y'all come at everything from such a unique perspective just because of y'all's experiences. So, I, you know, I hope that has been of value to our listeners. I remember my, some of my favorite episodes were also hearing from either people that you interviewed Molly or reading the stories that you wrote and just like, I don't know, shocked is the word impacted deeply by some of the things that you were, that you were kind of unearthing. I, I, one story that really sticks with me 
Um, and you wrote about this uh, a lot, I think, back in 2019. The story is about the immigration courts uh, under Donald Trump's presidency and kind of some of the uh, directives that were being given to the judges in these courts, they, being told that they had to uh, you know, hit certain quotas or do certain things that just struck me as fundamentally unjust and running counter to the idea of a court system or any idea of justice. And just reading those stories right at the time, getting to talk to you about them uh, on the podcast um, just really kind of shook me a little bit. And, and those are, I think, some of the things that Big If True, the stories um, the organization tells that are so important uh, and why that I hope anybody listening to this will stick with Big If True, um, you know, sign up for the newsletter, keep reading the articles, support it. Please support Big If True any way you can um, because there are so many stories that need to be told. Going back to kind of the idea, I think, of Big If True from the beginning that just fly under the radar for a lot of the national media, um, but they're they're very, very important. So I, I was thinking about some of the themes and some of the recurring ideas or some of the conditions that were present and some of the problems that we highlighted. And as for the immigration court backlog, it made me think of what we're going through and what we've talked about several times now with the eviction court. One of those recurring themes is not just that the system is inefficient, but these systems are fundamentally flawed in such a way that they cannot handle the, the, the load from the way that our society uses these systems now. And so they're, they're de designed in like a fundamentally, uh, in a way that people aren't able to access the rights and uh, the mechanisms that, that help us you know, live our lives. Well, I was going to say, 100%, they're fundamentally flawed systems. And I think the larger truth that maybe is within that is that they are, by design, functioning that way, right? In a lot of situations, it seems like um, the things that we, we find when we have these conversations or when you read an article on the site, um, it's not a mistake that these injustices exist, right? They are benefiting people. Um, especially those in power. And that's why it's so important to talk about them and bring light to them because it's not like innocent mistakes that you're talking about, JC. When when a system is as flawed as some of these systems we've talked about, um, it's because it was designed that way. And, and I think shedding light on that is such an important mission. I mean, there are a lot of systems that are flawed and that uh, people benefit from those flaws. But at the same time, it's not always intentional. Like sometimes it's incompetence or lack of resources or like a really weird combination of a bunch of different factors. But these are definitely things that we're going to keep following with bigoftrue.org, especially evictions and um, civil courts and um, hopefully criminal courts as well. I feel like these are areas that maybe they don't get the coverage that they deserve, especially because, you know, newsrooms have been slashed so much the last uh, 10 years or so. And like the last year, newspapers and other print publications rely so much on advertising. And, you know, I guess that's also true of other media forms, but it's just been like a terrible year for like publications shutting down and, and, like layoffs and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of, there are a lot of coverage gaps and we really just want to help fill those any way that we can. Yes. So like the way I see that that kind of manifests 
is that in a big newsroom, you're trying to put out like journalists are workers. I don't know if a lot of people understand that. I think they might get the idea of a reporter as somebody who like walks around and tries to get ideas and writes things over a length of time. But really, you're slammed. You're constantly trying to get words on the page. Uh, it's all about how many clicks you get during the day. Like the metrics are different now that the internet has kind of taken over. And so you may mention in a story that there's a backlog, you know, but the coverage gap is that you're, you're not able to take the time to explain to people or maybe spend the time with the people to ask the questions to really understand in what way, like where's the bottleneck? Why is it not working right? And then to properly like digest that and to, and to give it back to people so that they can, they can pay attention to the relevant parts. It doesn't take them, you know, they don't have to sit and study it for five hours to understand the issue. And that's why I think this model of journalism is so important because we don't, we're not sitting there paying attention to the metrics every day. Like we understand where the value really is in journalism. And that's giving people that information, like where, how exactly is it flawed to the best of our ability and what are the options? What are the best options or the, the wild options, whatever that people are coming up with to try to solve these issues? Yeah, it it does feel like having an emphasis on page views can lead to like a skewed, a skewed product. So if you had a, a columnist who had a, a really hateful, um, maybe like racist column, like that might get a lot of engagement on your site and it might get a lot of comments and it might get a lot of shares on social media. So that might seem on the surface, if you just looked at the numbers, that that was a a successful piece and so like the editors at that paper might look for more pieces like that you know but when you aren't beholden to clicks it makes it a little easier to do the types of stories that really benefit the public yeah exactly and to to build on that molly i think so many of the things that publications and organizations now are trying to use as a gauge of success and movement towards a successful business model are so new that do we really even understand the metric and your, your example is a great example of that. The other thing that comes to mind, I'm sure we talked about it on the show as this was a huge story in journalism, but there was a time a few years ago where a ton of organizations uh, were using metrics from Facebook to reorganize their entire operation to go more towards video because they were being told by Facebook that their videos um, were performing in such a way compared to their print articles, et cetera, et cetera. Years later, it came out that the actual, the actual analytics that Facebook had were flawed. And that, um, that takeaway that these organizations used to reorganize, lay people off, form different departments, hire people, it, it was all false actually. And they, and it was, it was all um, not really the reality of the situation and what users were actually interacting with. So that to me is a great example of why having a mission uh, like big if true, uh, like a lot of nonprofit journalism uh, organizations do can create so much more uh, stable and actual you know, results that you can stand on as opposed to trying to say, well, what my paper wants to do is drive 
page views or, or et cetera, right? So to me, that that is so much more important than some metric or just trying to figure out some way to be profitable. Um, if not more important, at least more sustainable. And, and you can feel better about it as a supporter uh, of an organization like Big If True. Right. I view it as a manifestation of like the will and the power of the people. Because if if journalism is a necessary part of your society, I think about it as like the immune system because it exposes things um, that are that are flawed, that aren't working right. If the if the roads are messed up in some part of town, you know, that's what you write about and you tell people that that's where the resources need to go and it's it's affecting people's lives. So for public uh, publicly funded journalism like Big If True, that is people rather than like give, uh, buying into this model where you know, you're writing about car crashes and posting photographs of, you know, people's uh, trauma uh, on a news in a newspaper because it gets clicks. If it bleeds, it leads, they say. Then you're, you're, as an alternative, becoming part of an organization that is putting their resources where they really believe there is social value. And if you look at their work and you say, yes, there is social value there. I see what they're doing. I see that what they're exposing is important. I see that the information they're giving is, is empowering the public. And I want to support that. Before we go, I just want to thank all of our listeners for following us, uh, you know, on this journey for the last two years. I want to thank Justin and JC for all of their work on the show. And also, I want to thank KXRW for, you know, letting us join their airwaves. I really appreciate that. I have enjoyed this. Don't let Molly uh, give away credit. She really did most of the work on this. And... I will continue to work with KXRW, so if you're listening to us on the radio right now, you'll definitely continue hearing my voice a little bit from time to time. And thank you, Justin, for all that you did. Yeah, absolutely. And just to follow up on that, absolutely, Molly deserves a ton of credit, as does JC. Uh, the time they put into producing the show um, should should not go unheralded. I really had the easiest job in the world just getting on, you know, every now and then and saying a few words and then logging off. So thanks to you guys so much. And really thanks to our listeners. Um, it's been, it's been a great, it's a great time with you all. Today's episode was hosted by Justin Sanders, Molly Bryant, and me, JC Cortez. This episode was produced by me and Molly. Our theme is Oh No by Hartle Road. <laughs> Hard Reset is a podcast from BigIfTrue.org. We're nonpartisan and nonprofit. Support us at BigIfTrue.org support. 